How are you doing? I, I apologize in advance to our listeners if there's a lot of lagging. I've been dragging my heels on trying to fix our Wi-Fi problems. We're going to struggle through this one, and going forward, it's going to be better. Um, I'll say again, how is it going? Sorry, you froze there. <laughs> <laughs> right after you said it's going to be better, it was like, um, just so rude. Froze. This is so rude. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, buddy. Um, what do you think? Do you want to, do you want to like push or try it in person or something um, at some point? Okay. Let me try one more thing. I've got one okay. more. I've got one more idea. I'm going to disconnect this. Hello. Bum 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 bum. Man, I was bum, straight bum, up dancing bum, to that. <laughs> I don't have your camera. Do you have a Do you have a camera so I can look into those eyes? Uh, hang on here. There we go. Boom. Spoiler alert! Here is this week's show show with Sweets and Slaney. And now it's nine, and the Celtics are playing at the same time too. Oh, what's the so, What's the the situation with that? By the way, what's the they. Uh, played the other day and they went into overtime the celtics were like up big time miami clawed their way back took it to overtime the celtics took a stupid last minute shot that they didn't need to take they took a three when all they needed was a single point so they should have just driven and seen what happened and uh then insult to injury the last possession of overtime jason tatum went in for this huge dunk and got completely blocked by bam Adebayo. yeah and uh like massive like tomahawk jam and this seven foot guy just jumps up and grat like basically like stops all momentum with his one hand that sounds exciting i i kind of wish that it, I, I was still invested in the playoffs my problem with loving like one team is that they're out and then i suddenly don't know what what to do with that like residual passion and enthusiasm so like we were so pent up in the raptors as one would be if they weren't some weird expatriate Celtics fan and suddenly I didn't know what to do after they lost that game well that's kind of what being a sports fan is I think you don't need to continue watching the sport once your team's out like you can be just sad that your team's out and sure go, but it's good to have some backup like it's good to have some feelings about many teams so that you can go well okay these aren't my favorite teams but I definitely like that one over this one and I guess that's who I'll root for because uh, like a, a ball game a basketball game in the playoffs is is good entertainment regardless that's true yeah if you if you can continue watching and, and like enjoy it but like to me if it ends up being a nuggets heat final i'm not i'm just not gonna watch any of that sure i'll tell you what i did for the first time because we watched that uh that crazy penultimate game in the raptor celtic series that yeah. tied it up forced the game seven and that was the night we we're going to go to PEI to visit Becky's parents for the weekend, which was really bad timing because <laughs> like, again, right. like suddenly we're like so into this. Fortunately, it didn't start until 10 o'clock Atlantic time. And so that's roughly when we're supposed to get there. But for the first time ever, I'm one of those people who shows up at a place and is like, can I put the game on? <laughs> can we like have half a conversation yeah. while I also watch the TV? And then it that's was wicked. Well, kind of. But it, and Becky was into it, too. Um, but that was a great letdown for most of us. And just not yeah. yourself. Just not myself. No, I was I was thrilled. I uh, I was getting so angry listening to the local announcers again. Like that is that. the one thing. Yeah, that really drives me crazy. But um, and also like I've i I'm such a pariah to all my friends who are cheering for the Raptors, and I can't be supportive. Although my dad was like, "Oh no, I, I'm like I'm happy whoever wins. Like I'm a huge Celtics fan, obviously, but I also watch all the Raps games." And I was like, "No." Celtics all the way, man. Like, That's right. Don't on. straddle like, yeah. the fence. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, yeah, I am Celtics all the way for sure. But I just feel weird cheering against the Raptors. I'm like, eh, okay. Well, that's very nice. Yeah, you couldn't go into public. Like, you couldn't go to Boston Pizza and root for the, the Celtics against the Raptors. That would be 
very toxic. That that's kind of what I thought, but like I don't know. I was wearing a Celtics hat around. You're right. Maybe a sports bar would be different. But I like I was not called out once on my Celtics hat, except I was running up Portland Street from my friend's house at halftime of the last game, and uh, when I was running up the street, I just heard, "Hey, buddy." talk to you about your hat hey buddy buddy and i was just like nope i'm in downtown dartmouth i don't know who in a dark corner is yelling at me right now that's fair i i mean that person was probably just gonna razz you a little bit i'm sure it was playful yeah probably but the other thing is like you have the hat so it's not like you're just being obstinate you're not just being a troll against the the predominantly raptors fan base uh nation in which you live you have the hat and so it's yeah. not even so much that you're rooting for the celtics it's it would be that you're rooting against the raptors that people would take personally that's true and i very actively was doing that too <laughs> i was like kyle lowry is such a flopper like he is not a good guy right <laughs> although he is he is a good guy he's a good team team member he just flops a lot never was like the thing is, everyone was shit-talking Marcus Smart so badly, and I'm like, you don't understand that Kyle Lowry basically is that player, except he's not like quite as much of an antagonizer. Well, Kyle Lowry didn't spend as much time on the floor as Marcus Smart, who, oh, were, yes, he who did. just Come crumbled on. down at the like the swift gust of a little bit of wind. Marcus Smart would be on the floor, and suddenly he's getting six free throws in a row. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He gets in that ass, Colin. <laughs> Speaking of ass, that Kyle Lowry's got a, he's got a tush on him. <laughs> Did you see the meme of him wearing like, like Daisy Dukes? Oh my God. I love it. Like they're, they're like Photoshop. I don't care what you say. Kyle Lowry is my favorite athlete on planet earth. I want to buy him dinner. I love that. I, his friggin' spirit is beautiful. He, he's he balls so hard. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a lot of heart. They they had no business really even being in that series, and they took that to seven games, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Are we doing a podcast? And then Kawhi's is that what's happening out. right now? Is that okay? It's not perfect, but I guess we'll we could do we could do like a half an hour one. All right. Yeah. Let's just let's just do entertainment news. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Get into it. All right, so basketball is still going on. Other sports you're watching? I don't want to belabor sports too much because that's the extent of my knowledge. I like Kyle Lowry. Obviously, the NFL ass. started. Cam Newton is the Patriots quarterback. Who is Tom Brady? I don't even know. You feel good about it? I, no, I feel good about it. I do feel uh, I, I am watching Tom Brady still on his new team a little bit. And uh, he's not. he didn't play great the first game, but we'll see how that goes. But I, I'm feeling okay about the new quarterback, Cam Newton. Not sure if he's going to you know be quite as much of a clutch quarterback like he's been injured a lot so we'll see how that goes but it's an exciting first game i did a break today about this german football team and i mean like soccer football they yeah. uh i i don't know if they're like an elite team if this is a widely known story or if it's just some like rec league shit that it's kind of a funny situation where this team overheard somehow that somebody on the opposing team had recently been in contact with somebody who was COVID positive. And so suddenly the okay. whole team is a pariah. Suddenly they're like, well, I don't want to play against this football team that somewhere in amongst them is somebody who might have, might be like a carrier. And so they had to socially distance through the whole game and they just got stomped 37 to nothing because they're so afraid to come into contact with anybody. No way. <laughs> Which is unfair. Like I, I would think that like bringing COVID to the match is at least a yellow card. Not that I know anything about sports. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> 37 to nothing. <laughs> like 4 nothing is a blowout in soccer. In soccer, 1-1 one, one is common, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. There's not a whole lot of uh, entertainment news to get through anyway. The Creative Arts Emmys have happened, and so there's already... So the Emmys are this Sunday. That's a big thing we can talk about on next week's podcast. Um, but you know how they do like a day of less interesting Emmys? the day before or the week before right uh mandalorian won something already watchmen starting to clean up a little bit uh like cinematography makeup awards awards that like uh, at the oscars get a lot of screen time and there's just so many acting categories at the emmys that that's all that gets any attention in prime time but right. like yeah the odd person i i think uh carrie washington i saw she won something i don't have them in front of me but uh 
Creative Arts Emmys, that's kind of exciting. It's usually where somebody you've never heard of before uh, gets their EGOT because they're just some behind the scenes entertainment industry worker who has right. done like has had an amazing career and they're not famous at all. Right. Yeah. That's um <laughs> imagine just tuning into the Creative Arts Emmys. Like, yeah. can we stream those one year and just watch the whole thing? It might be kind of fun. It might be. What do we'll you just th- do a whole Creative Arts Emmy episode. Do you have any predictions to make about the telecast for the Emmys this year? Which, I mean, award show telecasts have become so tragic in recent years anyway. But because of COVID, this is like, it's not the first major award show to happen uh, since COVID. But the first traditional one. Um, right. Yeah, I, I think like the AMAs and the the VMAs and everything, they kind of tried to do some version of the norm, except without the big crowds. And I guess that's what this is too. But like 150 nominees are going to be on Zoom at the Emmys, which is ludicrous. Mm. I fear that it will be really bad, mm-hmm. but I hope that Jimmy Kimmel will like knock it out of the park and people will be like, oh no, this is actually like the best year ever. Maybe. I mean, he might be really amusing, but... There's an inherent awkwardness to this shit anyway. And Uh some of the stuff is out of the control of the charm and charisma of whoever may be your host. If, you know, uh, Regina King's Wi-Fi cuts out the way it's been cutting out for you and I tonight while she's accepting an award, like it's just suddenly awkward. And by the way, this happens. I watched the, um, the Princess Bride live table read in support of the Democratic Party of America the other night. There was like, they did this whole right. Princess Bride. They brought back everybody, suspiciously except for Fred Savage, was the only living cast member who was a no-show. They brought in Finn Wolfhard instead, who already kind of has like a an air of smugness about him. And he tried to make the character his own, which is just not a thing you do with the Princess Bride. Right. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But uh, <laughs> uh, was it Mandy Patinkin? No, it was Josh Gad who, in fairness, Andre the Giant is no longer with us. And so he was playing Fezzik and his like his audio was just non-existent. And so he's just you can see his mouth like his mouth going along with the words and everyone's like trying their best not to cut him off. But like if that happens and some person is accepting an Emmy or presenting an Emmy and we can't hear a word they're saying, it's going to be awkward. Right. So did they do a live read of The Princess Bride and also like a pre-recorded thing that everyone just recorded in their house? Well, no, it was it was like live streamed, but everybody was in their house. Okay. They're gotcha. all like But there was like multiple different people playing multiple different parts, right? I don't think so. I mean, like, really? So what's that, that trailer with like a million different people playing like Wesley? And... Oh, yeah. I think that was just, that was a while ago. Was that a Jason Reitman project also? Yeah, I think so. Because he was kind of helming this as well. I think they must be separate entities. I didn't pay too much attention to Jim Parsons playing Vizzini or whatever. I don't know who it was, right. but yeah, I I do recall that. It didn't really pique my interest. But I wanted to see the table read, which as it turns out was kind of cute, but but mostly awkward. Robin Wright and, I, and Carrie Elwes still look gorgeous. Great couple. I saw on Reddit the other day that um, the producer or potentially, yeah, I forget who it was, but someone saw uh, the guy who was in like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, um, the guy who says the inconceivable. What's yeah, Wally Sean. Yeah. Okay. So they saw him in My Dinner with Andre. Yep. And he said inconceivable at one point in my, and that's why they cast that like they wanted him to continue saying that in this movie because they love the way he said it. Well, I mean, it's his catchphrase in the book too, right? And so they have to get a guy who can say inconceivable in a way that's going to be funny and memorable. I haven't seen My Dinner with Andre, but I have heard that story. And it must color the scene in My Dinner with Andre now. If you go back and watch this movie that's older than The Princess Bride and Wally Shawn says the word inconceivable, it's just going to stand out. It's going to sound so... Um, separate from the scene. It's going to take you out of the movie, right? Right. Yeah, definitely. We should watch My like Dinner with Andre. That, we should watch that movie and do a podcast about it. Yeah. I'm fascinated by this idea that it's just, you know, 90 minutes of two people having dinner together and that's a compelling film. Is that a, a mammoth thing or is that just something else? No, I don't know who wrote My Dinner with Andre. No. Huh. It's weird you say that though. I was on uh, David Mamet's Wikipedia page today. You know how you just sometimes find yourself places? Yeah. Yeah. That's where you ended up. What's he like? 
uh, I think he's probably an old son of a bitch. <laughs> he's probably. I think, <laughs> I, think he's, I think he's probably a difficult bastard with a Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. <laughs> Real a bit of a drinker. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Likes yeah. a glass of wine or two. I don't know much about about Mammoth, but I read all about Mammoth speak. There's like a whole there's a whole rhythm to dialogue for which he's he's named. Or I guess I believe that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know too much about him. More of a Sorkin guy myself. What do you think of uh, Jim Carrey playing Joe Biden? I love it. I think it's cool. I what I don't do well. I I, lo- I love that particular casting. What I don't love is this new precedent set where we have to get like hardcore celebrity ringers to play the high profile celebrities like that's just happened since Alec Baldwin Donald Trump and like everybody in the cabinet like we bring in Ben Stiller we bring in Robert De Niro um, Scarlett Johansson it's funny to have like like a stunt casting now and then Larry David but you do it week after week it kind of lose some of its muster plus I mean it takes away an opportunity from a not ready for primetime player Totally. And so, like Jason yeah, Sudeikis, new, who was a cast player this year. Yeah, playing? there's three new people, none of which I've heard before. Um, oh. Jason Sudeikis was in the cast when he played Joe Biden. He played him tremendously for years, and then last year, conveniently, they struggled to have a person who did a great Joe Biden, and so they had like Woody Harrelson do it for a sec. I think did Sam Rockwell do it once, or I don't. Anyway, um, there was kind of a vacancy for if like this guy's gonna be in the main political conversation, at least for the first half of this season, and perhaps for, for the next four years, we got to get somebody good to to represent that guy. I, I'm, I'll tell you right now, Jim Carrey's for sure not going to commit to playing Joe Biden for four years on SNL. No. I, I bet he'll have a great impression, but I also, uh, yeah, I don't know. I wonder if we'll get like tired of it. I've never seen a good Jim, Joe Biden impression. And, and like everybody has a Trump and most of them are just okay. Kind of like George right. W. Bush. Like there's a clear and obvious caricature to that. And we're all just kind of like mimicking the same best version of it we've heard somewhere and doing an okay job. But like right. Joe Biden's not so easily mimicable, not even so much as as Obama, who definitely had like a recognizable cadence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. His whole thing. And like, and I kind of wonder if they're going to pull like a Sarah Palin where they make it so insulting that like people aren't going to trust Biden in real life. <laughs> I heard somebody asked about that recently. Are you ever concerned that you're going to if if in fact you're doing an impression about somebody you admire and that's why you do the impression? Are you ever concerned that you're going to dissuade people from being aligned with that person? And and I forget where I heard this conversation, but they basically threw Trump up and they like said like, well, if you could if you could get people off voting for somebody with an SNL impression, Trump would not be Yeah, that's president. A good point. Yeah. No, no, I mean like it's it's the job of these shows to spoof the characters. And look, Joe Biden's got some some things about him that are easy to laugh at. Like he's he's not a, a super graceful uh no. like untouchable guy. But no, I mean, no. But I mean if you start to compare numbers, nothing to it. Speaking of of people playing famous people, Madonna is the next uh, pop icon to get a biopic, uh, which stands to reason I could see there being a good Madonna movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was announced this week, Diablo Cody is going to write it. So she wrote Juno. She's a good writer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you want to guess who's going to direct it? Olivia Wilde. That would be great. That would be great. I'd love that. Nope. Uh, Not Olivia Wilde. Is it a male or female? A female. Okay. Um, oh God, it's gonna be like Miley Cyrus or something. Yeah, honestly, you're on the right path, but it's it's weirder than that. Huh? Weirder than Miley Cyrus? Sia? <laughs> see, Sia directing the that'd be funny. I, again, I'd rather direct, I'd rather see that than did, who it is. She just released a movie. That's why I say that. Um, I I'm not sure at all. Dude, Madonna's gonna direct her own biopic. Oh, why didn't I guess that? Isn't that weird? Yeah. Guy Ritchie would have been another one that I could have thrown in the mix, which would have been interesting. That would, ex, it would not be ex- flattering, ex- I wouldn't think. They're not together, right? No, no, I don't think so. 
No, they haven't been. This is not going to be. I mean, like, this is like, I loved Rocketman, but this is like Elton John producing Rocketman. Like, you have to take it with a grain of salt. This is your version of the story. Granted, Rocketman was kind of a warts and all movie. Um, Is Madonna apt to do that? I don't know enough about her personality and her ego. Yeah, I I don't know. Like, I mean, you, you would just assume that everything would be out there. I don't know if there's anything that's hidden about Madonna. Well, one thing that's strange is like a, an actor is going to have to portray young Madonna with Madonna there the whole time, like telling her what to do and how to do it. Right. That's such a weird dynamic. And who's the actor that they choose? Oh, it's going to be like Lily James or something. Shirsha Ronan. Yeah, it could be. Imagine. Could be. I, this is very interesting. I saw the other day on Twitter that they're making a Godfather TV series, and I scoffed as one would. I was like, that's a terrible oh. idea. But then I did yeah. a little more research, and now I'm into the idea. Because it's not a Godfather TV series. In fact, it is a scripted retelling of the true story of the making of the Godfather trilogy. So we're like... Coppola is like a character in this movie and Marlon Brando is a character and it's actually a TV show not a movie but like so it's a behind the scenes how kind of like um, the disaster artist oh okay that's pretty interesting yeah I'm kind of into that right yeah yeah uh, man I wonder I'm sure there's a bunch of crazy stories around that movie I don't know I don't know a lot of the legend hmm yeah neither do I but, but I'm I'm willing to dig in. Have you heard of uh, the Song Exploder show that's coming out? I just saw that in a headline today. I don't know what that is though. I don't know what that means. So Song Exploder is uh it's this podcast. It's pretty interesting. I've heard a couple episodes where uh they'll sit down with the artist. So maybe it's Bruce Springsteen and they go, "Hey, uh take us through Thunder Road basically." Ooh. And he's like, "Okay, so I had this idea about like, you know, uh cars and music in new jersey and uh i wanted it to sound this way because of this thing and so like then my guitarist came up with this lick or i was sitting on this forever and and they just explain how they make a song love it i love that yeah you should you should look up song exploder there's some some really cool uh cool episodes so it's already a thing it's not something that's on its way it's a podcast, um, oh, okay. but they're making it a, a Netflix show. Hmm. So it's going to be like an in-person, like, you know, the trailer has like Alicia Keys and Sampha and yeah. Great. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. I think it'll be a cool show. I want to talk about two different, uh, very bingeable, two game show contestants who are interesting this week. One is a guy named Donald okay. Fear, who might be <laughs> the most impressive who wants to be a millionaire contestant ever. His, Donald Fear. His name is Donald Fear. There's not a whole lot to say about this guy. Other than that, he got through the whole thing, uh, used one of his four lifelines, and confidently answered the last question. But not in like a John Carpenter, I want to call my dad kind of way. He just like was right. this meek little British man on Jeremy Clarkson's iteration of Millionaire, who just like sailed to the end and was just the biggest sweetheart and just amazingly knew everything and I, I recommend people look up Donald Fears who wants to be a millionaire run the other person I want to draw some attention to is this Jeopardy contestant we just watched this gal named Kelly okay so Jeopardy's back finally Alex is back he's looking good they've got the lecterns socially separated uh, and the show's kind of uh, okay. running pretty well we've had uh, Ken Jennings come in and do a whole category at one point um and every now and then there's a Jeopardy contestant who's just a little bit too enthusiastic. And for some reason, it's your instinct to be a little put off by that because there's a there's a statelyhood to Jeopardy, to the tradition of Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And uh, this Kelly was one such person who was really enthusiastic, really, really like, like for some reason, our instinct was just like, oh, please get off my television. What are you doing? And she was she was doing really well. She was and she almost like. She almost went into final with the most money, but then she had a couple of bad bets and she ended up not making final. And so that's it. If you, if you just watched the episode, you probably were annoyed by Kelly and you were relieved she didn't come back. But then if you go on the Jeopardy subreddit, which is a thing I've, I have I do now, I guess. <laughs> okay. Everybody's talking about Kelly and how like, like profoundly spotlight hoggy she was. And 
somebody leaked this like after show clip where she was thanking Alex for the opportunity and she was sobbing. She was just like, like basically saying like, I knew I wouldn't win, but the opportunity to meet you was enough to like change me forever. And then she did like another post show interview with, with Jimmy with the clue. And, and uh, he mentions this like emotional moment she had with Alex and she starts to cry again. And she said, she said this weird thing where she's like, look, I peaked 20 years ago. This is like coming home again. Or something. And she was like 30 is weird. Very weird that she was like, I peaked 20 years ago. <laughs> Oh my God, what? Anyway, so it just like, again, like go look up Kelly on Jeopardy. It's probably all over YouTube right now because she's like, she's kind of like a once in every couple of years Jeopardy contestant who actually like jumps off the page. And she is annoying. Like, look, she's annoying and she knows she's annoying and that saves her some points. I love that there's no conclusion to the story. I thought it was going to be like, and she was this way because boom, boom, <laughs> boom. It's just like, no, she was just annoying. People are talking about it and people don't quite well, no, understand it. No, look, but I, she's somewhat self-aware. I, that's, that's it. I think the conclusion of the story is that she's incredibly insecure and that she comes off this like hyper enthusiastic person as a, a defense mechanism. When she says things like I peaked 20 years ago, you're like, oh, you're not too confident. You're sad. Yeah, like maybe you're really underconfident and suddenly you're kind of root for her. Um, But it was was a weird dynamic. You don't normally get this much personality from a Jeopardy contestant. That's so strange and I'm like obsessed with it now. I want to go look it up. Yeah, go look up Kelly on Jeopardy. It'll be one of the recent videos. The only other thing thing I have is that Disney (laughs) Disney Plus is doing a She-Hulk Marvel Cinematic Universe TV series and Tatiana Maslany is going to play... she-Hulk. I know. Tatiana Matsalini. She's going to Hulk out. Yeah. She's going to Hulk out on everyone. Man, I hope I meet her someday. Just because I like, I would actually go up to her. I feel like she's so cool. She's very cool. I'd be like, my name is Matsalini. Your last name is Maslani. Yeah. I just have always felt a kinship with you. <laughs> I hope it's cool that we like fist bump right now or something. I think she'd definitely be down with that. She's very Canadian. She seems very nice. Um, yeah. My favorite uh, Tatiana Matsalini uh, role was her one episode arc in Parks and Recreation where she's the Doctors Without Borders person who dates Tom. Right. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> she's just pretty hard on him. Oh, she's the she's the one where he randomly has a British accent talking to her because he's so nervous. Yes. <laughs> maybe it is but a two the, episode She's arc. in a couple episodes, isn't yeah, she? Maybe it is a couple they, like, episodes. Go to the bowling alley. Yeah. Small arc. That's right. All right, we're rolling here. Do you want to talk about a couple of shows before I let you go? Yeah, we might as well. I mean, we're, okay, this is going uh, okay, right? This is good. I, just to say to the audience, I don't know how much I'm going to leave at the front of this just to give context, but we're we're both exhausted because we worked for a half an hour to try and get a decent web connection. And then, we're, then we literally gave up and just started talking about basketball. And now we've decided to finish the podcast. But it's it's definitely like a, it's a below the line podcast. And I'm okay with that. For sure. I think uh, a big part of it is being patient when the other person is speaking, because once we both start speaking at the same time, that's when I notice stuff start to crackle in and out. Interesting. Okay. So this is really just an exercise in listening. I think we could both grow from this. (laughs) All right. So it is your turn to pick which show you would like to recap first. One of them is a documentary, which in the past has been a little challenging, but whatever. We can just give the cliff notes. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I will, I'll choose the Duchess. Okay. Okay. There's a lot less to unpack there. This is, uh, Catherine Ryan's new show on Netflix. It just launched last week. It's just like a half hour comedy. Um, you recap the first episode of the Duchess in three, two, one, go. Okay. So we meet Catherine. (laughs) I'm not sure if that's her name in the show. She's got an eight year old daughter. Um, she has this daughter with a, uh, former, uh, British boy band guy. She's American. He's British or Irish. Um, they're split up. Um, but she loves the daughter so much. The daughter is amazing. The daughter's kind of getting bullied and the mother is trying to stick up for the daughter. And so is the father, but she also wants another kid. Meanwhile, there's this dentist in the mix who she's kind of seeing who's obviously like a great fantastic person but she's like actively not trying to get too involved because she thinks like oh he'll ruin me if we end up divorcing um and so she yeah she basically doesn't want to get too close because i think she realizes how good he is um 
Yeah, and that's pretty much the first episode. She goes to a sperm bank, but then she realizes, you know what? My ex-husband was actually, he provided this first daughter with me. So maybe I should go back to him for my next kid. Yeah, she like really detests her original baby daddy, but she's really hung up on this idea that they made such a great kid the first time that they'll make another great kid in spite of how um, slovenly and pathetic he is. And so even though... She's got this dentist boyfriend who is inexplicably in love with her, um, mm. who would willingly have a family with her, it seems. Um, she wants nothing to do with that. I guess as, again, a de- defense mechanism, she's afraid of, of getting, uh, she doesn't trust the world, really. It's just she's very codependent with her kid. Um, have you seen any of Catherine Ryan's stand-up before? Any of her like chat show stuff? No, I know nothing about Catherine Ryan. Interesting. She's she's more famous in the UK. Uh, she's uh, Canadian born, um, huh. but she just kind of like ran off to get famous in England. And so this is based on her life. Like she has a kid, an eight year old, and like in her stand up, she's always talking about her like very posh little uh, eight year old daughter who calls her like mummy, and. Um, so this is all, it's just, just another like comedian makes a pilot that's loosely based on their life and is like rife with their uh, stage persona. And so that's that's a good place to start if you know that much about her uh, ahead of time. Very, very codependent uh, on her daughter, which um, I, I don't know. I, 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 thought it, I thought it was kind of good. I find her particularly charming in general. But like if you don't know anything about her ahead of time, what's your first instinct? No, I thought it was still pretty funny too. I thought it was like, like maybe slightly derivative of like you know, um, I don't know, like Amy Schumery sure. a little bit, yeah. But in in Britain, uh, but I thought it was I thought it was good. It also kind of reminded me of Catastrophe because that's a show that takes place in large part um, in Britain and is kind of like about this American guy who starts a family there. Right. So def- definitely similar vibes, but I liked it. I feel like she must have been on like big fat quiz of the year before. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing that she does. Yeah. Right. Okay. So so that might be where I recognize her from. She's stupid funny in that kind of a context too. Like like right. wicked fast and so mean. Like and, yeah. and, and, and and I mean that's very prevalent in this show as well. It's so funny when she's uh, she's defending her daughter who's getting bullied by this other kid at school. And by the way, how much did you hate that kid who pushed Olive down? Oh my God. That was yeah. infuriating. But then this kid's mom is also such a bitch. And <laughs> uh, Catherine is walking away and she's, she says basically into frame, it's not that hard to be a decent fucking mom. And she's wearing a sweater that says world's smallest pussy. Well, she's dropping, <laughs> she's dropping her daughter off at school. It's, it's just so vulgar for vulgar sake. It's pretty funny. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I was a fan of it. I would watch another episode for sure. I think Jen would like it too. She she wasn't with me at the time when I was watching it, but yeah, we're gonna we'll probably go watch one here in a few minutes. I thought it was pretty good. I felt bad for Evan. Nice. What did, what did she expect when she's like, "Listen, uh, I'm gonna have another baby, but it's with a sperm donor." <laughs> like, did she expect him to just be down with that? Like, he's gonna lose his patience yeah. eventually. She was so brutal to him the whole time. Yeah, poor guy. I will say, I think cheer for that guy. I, I found her her uh, costumes kind of befuddling because, like, she clearly like made a choice to get to wear like the loudest, most crazy clothes that she she can't wear in real life, and she like had some kind of executive power on the show, and that's fine. That she wears like tutus and stuff, but isn't it kind of the conceit of her character that she's pragmatic to a fault? Like that she wears yeah. these like weird frilly clothes. Actually, it doesn't seem like something she would do. Well, I think her one of her her MO is basically like I don't give a fuck. Right. So in that way it kind of makes sense, but yeah, you're right. It also is like she she wouldn't seem like she would care that much about getting dressed up. No. And, and like you could make the argument that she spends all of her time with this 8-year-old. This 8-year-old is her best friend, but the the kid is really straight-laced. And so she's not getting yes. it from that influence. It's not like, well, her best friend is this eight-year-old, and so she wears frilly clothes like and, and Princess Anna outfits for adults. It's not the case. Right. No. Anyway, no, I, right. I give him my ass. I thought it was pretty funny. Me too. I'm in. Okay, so I'm going to count down uh, the first episode of The Vow on HBO. I realized that uh, if we were going to do a documentary, we probably should have paired it with the first episode of I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is the HBO documentary about the... 
about the Golden State Killer based on Michelle McNamara's oh. book. Apparently, it's very good. Oh, cool. Yeah, so maybe for another time. But uh, The Vow sure. is the the Nexium cult, and, and there's a yes. there's a big HBO docuseries out about that, and uh, I think there's four of them out right now. We watched the pilot, and so I, I, I guess I'll recap that if you want to count me down. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay, so you're going to start in three, two, one, go. We mostly hear the perspective of like two or three uh, expatriated members of the famous uh, Nexium cult, people explaining exactly how they initially uh got roped into this organization it's it's basically kind of like fronting itself as a sort of multi-level marketing uh ideological conference like this is how you can like change your brain to be more successful and uh the episode sort of leads up to where they um ultimately have grown into my time's up um they've grown such that they're able to get influence from like some really powerful people and not just uh, like uh, tangential members of Hollywood, but the freaking Dalai Lama kind of gives his seal of approval to to Nexium and the heiresses of the Seagram's Corporation and like all these like really famous people are tangentially connected to this creepy organization. And at the center of it is Keith Rainiery, who um, they they call him um, Vanguard. Vanguard. He's basically Vanguard, treated yeah. treated like the the centric god that exists in any essential cult, and everybody talks about him like he's this perfect, uh, like monolithic genius. Uh, and really, he's just like a weird, squirrely, neckbeardy creep who has a smooth tongue. Yes. And um, I mean, there's not a lot of story in it because they're really trying to pace it out. In fact, we don't even really get to see here in this pilot episode too much of their insidious. Uh, realness in nexium we just kind of get the sense that something's off and obviously we know that they're about to become like uh like racketeering sex trafficking cult but like we don't see any of that in the pilot episode it's really just about these like fragile egos who find belonging in this multi-level um kind of uh organization about belonging or whatever it reminded me a lot do you remember the episode of boy meets world where sean joins a cult (laughs) <laughs> not especially but i know that i know it to be a thing so it's like mid-series boy meets world sean is really like struggling with his identity he really doesn't feel like he fits in anywhere and he joins a cult and everybody's mm-hmm. like and he like he basically <laughs> wants to denounce everything else in his life and it's the episode where mr turner uh, gets in a motorcycle accident and he effectively dies in the oh he series. dies yeah and he doesn't die because he comes back in girl meets world they kind of like uh, overwrite that but they like what? effectively he Disney Channel dies in that episode and and it's really He's the only full thing. body cast yeah they, like hold his hand but that's the only thing that can lift Sean out from the trance of this cult is like seeing that like people love him because he feels like he's not loved it feels right. very much like that it's just this like creepy uh, kind of like underground society where they pretend that you have like a voice because the world outside is is judgmental and it felt very much like that but in like a very real way dude cults are terrifying totally i liked how they they introduced this episode as like a so far it seems like kind of okay like it really introduces it the way that the people must have felt it like oh yeah no it just seems like a like a way to like better yourself and then you know the more you watch the episodes you know the closer you get did you watch any more than one episode no, I, I think I will watch some more, but not by myself. Like it was, it was kind of upsetting to watch it by myself. Yeah, it's uh, it, it hits all the cult beats for sure. Right. Yeah, but I don't know a lot about. Like, I never watched. Did you watch Going Clear, the Scientology documentary? No, I didn't actually. But um, but yeah, I feel like I I kind of know all the all the parts there too. It's basically like, can we drain your money and then like is there going to be a guy at one point who's like, and also I'm going to be the guy who has sex with all these women. Right. <laughs> and like no one else can have sex with the women. That for sure seems to happen. That seems to be like a standard beat, like you said, of, of all of these organizations. And, and, and I think right. the, the main reason the, the Nexium one has gotten so much attention publicly is that like Allison Mack from Smallville was like, at a, I think at a time, like number two or maybe number three at Nexium, she was like at the height of their power. Like she has also been indicted on sex trafficking. Like she is a high up in the right. organization 
at their most powerful. And she just kind of slips in towards the end of this first episode. And she seems very charming. But interestingly, um, so leading up to it, there's one other actress who's featured pretty prominently. And her name is Bonnie. And she's the one who's married right. to this main guy. And so it's so interesting because Ross and I on the Star Wars podcast have talked a lot about this upcoming Kenobi, uh, Ewan McGregor Star Wars series on Disney+. Plus. And so yeah. we've talked a lot about how very plausibly at this point in the timeline, uh, Obi-Wan is uh, isolating uh, on Tatooine and uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru are somewhere in the distance raising a young Luke Skywalker, right? And if we are to reuse the cast that's very briefly used in Star Wars episodes two and three, uh, Joel Edgerton can very plausibly come back and play Owen Lars in the Kenobi series and do they recast this nobody actress who played Aunt Beru who it turns out was at a time very involved in Nexium and is very heavily featured in this first episode of the show um, but she has denounced it and she and her husband who's like kind of the, the main talking head of this first episode uh, they're apparently two of the cult's most uh outspoken detractors since they've left like they really saw um they got some perspective and they've they've really gotten away from it so that's good yeah i don't see episode her, two i don't see her coming back oh in the show i don't and i just don't see her coming back to to star wars is what i'm saying oh yeah <laughs> yeah i don't think so no Although she, like, I think she's, like, down with that world. I'm sure she would love to come back. Like, if she got the offer, I think she would. Well, yeah, she was just, like, a struggling artistic person. It seems like her her um, creative outlet of choice was probably music. Like, she was trying to, like, be a singer-songwriter, but she also had had some small acting parts. Anyway, seems yes. like a lovely person, but it's very upsetting because, like, it, it seems like also her marriage got pretty fucked up for a while, too. Uh, Yes. Possibly permanently, but I'm not sure. Did, was she also uh, hooking up with Keith? Probably, right? No, I don't think she was, but I think she was like one of the first people to be like, there's something wrong here. Like, like girls are, um, or like some of the women are like, apparently being like coerced to um, essentially the second episode if i can can i spoil it yeah go ahead of all, course or? sure 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 so the second episode you learn that there's like women that go to other women and they were like hey there's like this other kind of like society that's happening and you can learn about it but like you need to give us some like collateral essentially like something that like you would never want anyone to like know like you basically need to give up like your deepest secret in order for us to like tell you right and if you do that then you can like learn and it's basically like oh this is like the sex cult for yeah that's sex <laughs> like, you can have sex with the leader and yeah yeah, oh, yeah it's, it's so upsetting it, it, it gets crazy. Well, yeah. I think at some point, and this is surely going to turn up in the documentary at some point, but at, at some point, Allison Mack, she becomes like chief confidant to to Keith, the leader. Because like I know I've seen leaked emails of her contacting like other supremely famous women, like way more famous than her, like Emma Watson famous. Of like basically Whoa. like basically Keith Rainier's like celebrity crushes. And she's like, it's her job to try and get them to come have sex with him, which is so creepy. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. And meanwhile, he's like managing like her. He's got all of these women on like calorie counts. Yeah. They're all like unhealthily skinny. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. You know what, though? They briefly mentioned Tony Robbins and... and and a lot of this first episode does kind of feel a little bit like that. Like get everybody in a conference room and everybody's chanting this like encouraging stuff and we'll put a sash on you because it means that you've you've leveled up to, you know, champion from Victor or some, whatever. I forget what the buzzwords right. were. But like I always kind of felt a little eerie about the Tony Robbins stuff. And I know, um, the I, well, I, I maybe he has had some sketchy stuff come out about him. I, I really don't, I haven't looked into him, but like just the idea of these like motivational speakers who make a billion dollars telling you that you're enough. 
There's something pretty yeah. skeevy about that and culty, whether they're actually like racketeering and 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 human trafficking or not. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, you're right. The, the the Tony Robbins stuff. If you watch that documentary, I'm not your guru. It also is like strange. Yeah. It's not equally as strange, obviously, but it's like there's some weird stuff there. Like they're making such a huge business off of like, I don't know, maybe they are building people up in the right way. He's such a like straight shooter, too, that I like, kind of like it. But obviously he's uh, he's got he's got culty stuff kind of uh, peppered around him. What about when they allegedly cure Tourette's syndrome? Yeah, I'm so curious to find out. Like, like in episode five, are we going to be like, okay, that was like a plant, or this guy? Maybe, was on, like... maybe it's a plant. So there's this guy who like has really bad Tourette's, and they basically they position it like, look, if we can uh, cure this guy's Tourette's without medicine, just with our uh, like our documentation and our philosophies, then we'll garner a little bit of credibility with like. Um, uh, science with big science right. and it kind of works at least as it's depicted in the pilot episode this guy has seemed to completely be cured of his Tourette's which I mean obviously there's something shady about that yeah do you think that like he was actually on like a certain drug or something and I'm so know. curious to find I, out that I that was no one idea. of the most fascinating parts of the the episode we're like okay wait they cured Tourette's this <laughs> yeah it's very upsetting, Pulse? but it's it's good. It's I I give it my ass. It's very very good. It, it's it's so creepy. Yeah, not since the Jinx has there been uh, a, a documentary that's probably been as hyped and as uh, interesting. Well, what was the Jinx? And and by the way, I haven't heard that much about the Vow, so I don't know that it's being hyped. I think it is. I I've heard a lot. Maybe I'm just seeing on like people's Instagram stories and stuff. Mainly like celebrities. Okay. About it. Okay. Um. But maybe it's because they've got more invested in kind of the celebrity aspect of it. Um, the Jinx was the Robert Durst one. Oh, okay. Do you remember that at all? I recognize he, that like, name. He famously um, like had like five different wives and like changed uh, changed his identity a, a bunch of times and ends up being like. Uh, he like hires this filmmaker to try to like make a movie of his life. And the filmmaker basically makes a, a like documentary. Like he doesn't really realize that, that the filmmaker is making a documentary about how this guy for sure killed his wives. Okay. Yeah. I sort of remember that he was. And like in killer. the last episode, he's like mic'd up. This is like from like six years ago. So I'm not breaking news here. He's mic'd up and he goes into the bathroom. He's like, Oh, they got me. They got me. I did it. Like, I can't believe it. I'm finally done. Like, I can't believe they did. And so I think he's in prison now. Like, literally, the, the filmmaker did not call the police until, like, the day that the final episode was airing. Oh, wow. And he, like, went into jail that day. Like, I got him. I do always wonder when I watch these shows, like, how do they have this much footage? Like, am I supposed to be filming more in my daily life in case I see something crazy? Like, even when, um, what's the main guy's name? Mike? Oh, uh... Doesn't matter. Mark. Mark. Uh, when yeah. Mark is explaining about, like, when he first met Keith, and he's, like, retelling this story about, like, being at Nancy's house, and then they just have footage of when Keith shows up at Nancy's house, and he, like, takes off his jacket... And you're like, yeah, like it's it's found footage documentaries are are fascinating to me. Well, the 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 big saving grace there is he was a filmmaker, hmm. and That's so right. I think yeah. I, I'm wondering if he was like the force behind this whole thing because everything is filmed. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's kind of how he indirectly got involved. He like had his movie in a festival, and he kind of followed the. Yeah, you'd never heard of that movie before, had you? Like, what the bleep? Yeah, what the what the, what the bleep what the bleep is real or something? What the bleep is happening? Yeah, and people like loved that movie for it some reason. It looks terrible. So I no, it's I have not. not heard like it. It. No, no. Anyway, it's really good. Hey, look at this. We pulled off a podcast in spite of it being kind of like a weird internet glitchy night. We did it. We just started talking to each other and then it turned into a podcast. It turns out all you have to do when you're frustrated is talk to your friend. That's right. 
Yeah. That's actually like really what happened too. Yeah, that kind of worked out. It's not our best, oh, but we uh, had a conversation and a podcast broke out. <laughs> and in fact, there's a couple of interesting uh, Will Smith things. It's been a while. It's been a while. So uh, Will Smith listed the Fresh Prince Mansion on Airbnb for thirty bucks a night. I don't know what that means. There's a house that he has like some kind of responsibility for. <laughs> I guess. Also, did you see that he filmed a private sit-down with Janet Hubert? No, who's that? She's the original Aunt Viv who famously got fam uh, fired from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air because Will oh, didn't yeah. like her. And she has not been nice about Will Smith ever since then. She is not returning for the reunion, but she is going to be featured in the HBO special in a intimate sit-down with Will where the two clear the air. Whoa, I love that. I will watch that. Yeah. I'm, I'm like so curious as to why Will Smith is like resorting to these activities. I know, it really seems like he could be above some of this like tawdry stuff. Definitely. Definitely is. But like, I'm in it. I'm like, I'm there for it. Well, they're going to be sitting at a red table probably. And then, then, then we'll understand what happened. When do you think Will Smith starts selling red tables? <laughs> <laughs> like you go into Structube and there's like red tables by by Jada. By Jada and Will, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we could buy one for the podcast. Then we'd really get down to business. We should. We'd like carve our names in it and stuff. And then any <laughs> guests we had could carve their names in it. And everyone would just write Never Trust. That's right. <laughs> All right, pal. Well, I suppose the moral of the story is never trust Will Smith. Nothing else on the Ellen front, just people not trusting him. No, but she'll be back pretty soon, and she's going to address it on her show, all of the crazy summer allegations. And so then we'll have something to discuss. Summer allegations? Had me a blast. All right, Celtics are up 71-67. I will let you go right now. We're into the third quarter. Okay, hey, I'm rooting for the Celtics, because, you know, they earned it. Go Celts!